Hey, Community of Faith, I hope you're doing well today. It's uh, good to be able to gather together and to be together and continue in this series that we're in called Next, uh, which is finding peace where we are, but purpose where we want to go. And I want to set it up with a story. When I was growing up in a small West Texas town, um, we always walked to school. We would walk to school, we'd walk home from school, and most times my little brothers would get home from school before I would. I would be at a sports practice or something else. And, uh, but on this one particular day when I was a freshman in high school, I actually got out of school early. My brothers didn't know that, my parents weren't home. And I remember getting home and I immediately had the idea, like many of you would have, and I thought, man, I, this is a great opportunity to scare my brothers. And uh, so I locked the door behind me and I uh, hid all my things. And I went back to their bedroom and I hid in their closet and waited for them to come home. And I heard them come in the door and unlock the door and walk in. And they're talking and having conversation, having no idea that I'm there and that I'm scheming against them to scare them. And so I kind of got bored. I was like, all right, when are they going to come find me? So finally I grabbed something from their closet and I threw it across the room, made this loud crash, and immediately there was silence in the house. I remember waiting and waiting, wondering what are they doing? Are they sitting uh, frozen in fear somewhere? Have they left the house? And then finally I heard whispers. And I was curious if they were coming down the hall. And so I, I left the closet. I walk and right as I'm looking around the corner from their bedroom into the hallway, they come around the corner. And in that moment, I yelled and I was like, hey! And in that, in, in that instance, both my brothers just freeze for, for a moment, and then there was some action, and I learned a few things in that moment. The first thing I learned is that Jackson boys use weapons when they're scared. Both my brothers had large knives in their hands. I also learned that Thad, my middle brother, is the aggressive one, because as soon as he kind of realized what was going on, he lunged at me with the blades, and so I back up. It's kind of this crazy, intense moment. And then my youngest brother, Clay, he just screams, and he freezes and panics not the guy that you want to have in a fight with you. And the reason I tell that story today is because uh, maybe you've had that happen in your life. Everything's going normal. Everything seems to be good and going as planned. And you don't realize that somebody is scheming against you. They're making plans that you're not aware of to interrupt or disrupt, maybe for good, maybe for bad, but there's those times where that happens. And it sets up the story we're going to read in the book of Joshua today. You know, Joshua and the Israelites have walked into the promised land. They've defeated Jericho. They've just defeated Ai. So they're in a place where they're confident. They're celebrating. They're worshiping. They're, they're, they're celebrating their commitment to God and all that he has done on their behalf. They are living in victory. They have um, succeeded so far into what God has called them into. What they don't realize, though, is that in their celebration, at the same time, there's enemies that are scheming and coordinating to work against them, to defeat them, to destroy them, even when they're celebrating. You know, I think even in this day that we're in, I've been encouraged over the last couple of weeks because I've heard stories about some of you who have decided to trust Jesus, who have um, experienced God's work in your life. And those are things that we celebrate, that we are excited about, and it's, it's encouraging to hear those stories. But what I know based on what I read in Scripture, and even as we see in the story today, that even when we're experiencing God's work in our life, that the enemy is still scheming and working to disrupt, to distract, to destroy anything that God wants to do in our life. The enemy never rests. And we see a story where this happens in Joshua chapter 9, and we're going to skip down to verse 3. And it says this, it says, When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai. That's important to remember. 
They knew what had happened. It says they also acted craftily and set out as envoys. They're starting to work towards deception. They're scheming for something. It says they took worn-out sacks on their donkeys and wineskins worn out and torn and mended and worn out and patched the sandals on their feet and worn out clothes on themselves and all the bread of their provisions was dry and had become crumbled. They went to Joshua to the camp of Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country. Now therefore make a covenant with us. Now a little bit of understanding as we read this story and we begin to recognize what's happening. The people from the land of Gibeon have come up with this plan to deceive Joshua and the Israelites. And they want to deceive them to accomplish something. They're trying to get them to make a covenant to get Joshua and the Israelites to to make a promise, a commitment with them that they will not assault them. And what they're doing is they're trying to make them believe that they're from this far off country, somewhere off in the distance. But what we know is that Gibeon was only about eight miles from Jericho. So it was close. They were in close proximity to Joshua and the Israelites. But they don't want Joshua to know that. And so it says they take their clothes and their torn up clothes, torn up sandals, old wineskins, They take the old, crusty, crumbled, moldy bread. All of this to reinforce the deception that they want to use against the Israelites. All for a plan and a purpose. They want them to make a covenant. Let's let's continue to read in verse 7. It says, The men of Israel said to the Hevites, Perhaps you are living within our land. You know, immediately, Joshua and the Israelites are a little bit skeptic because they had a covenant with God. God had ordered them. He had commanded them to take the promised land. And they weren't to leave anything from the foreign nations within their presence. He wanted to maintain the purity of his people. And this was a covenant. This was a promise. This was a commitment that Joshua and the Israelites had with God. Now the people from Gibeon are wanting to make a different covenant. And to make a covenant with the people from Gibeon, they would actually be breaking the covenant they had made with God. So the enemy is trying to deceive them and they're skeptical about it because no one from the land can be, within, can be among them. He says, but they said to Joshua, we are your servants, which is not necessarily true. That wasn't their desire. He said, then Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? His skepticism is forcing some questions. And then they come up with this response and they say to him, your servants have come from a very far country. That's a lie. Because of the fame of the Lord your God. Now notice what they say. They make it religious. They make it about God. They use God's name to qualify what they're about to say. He says, For we have heard the report of him and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, who was with Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions in your hand for the journey, and go to meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Now then, make a covenant with us. It's interesting to me that as I read this passage and I hear the response in their deception, what they're trying to convince Joshua is is that they're from far away. And so even as they were remembering the work that the Lord God had done through his people, they're pointing back to what God had done prior to them crossing the Jordan River. You would think if they really wanted Joshua to recognize what they knew about his God, they would reference the things that had just happened. 
They had just defeated Jericho. They had just defeated Ai. But they had this master plan to deceive Joshua because they wanted him to make this covenant. And then look what happens. It says, This our bread was warm when we took it for our provisions out from our houses on the day that we left to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and has become crumbled. That's, that's not true. It was old before they even left. It was all part of their plan, all part of their scheme. These wineskins, which we filled, were new, and behold, they are torn. And these are clothes and our sandals are worn out because of the very long journey. They want Joshua to know, hey man, we have been, we have been on this journey for so long. Our clothes are worn out, our sandals are worn out, our wineskins are about to go, go bad. It's, I mean, we, are, we have been traveling for a really long time. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions and did not ask for counsel of the Lord. Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. In this moment, the deception of the enemy leads Joshua to make a decision that goes in a different direction than what God intended for Joshua and the Israelites. He makes a covenant, he makes a commitment, a promise with these people who have deceived him. It's interesting in this text, as we begin to understand this, it says that Joshua did not ask for counsel from the Lord. I mean, we can all, we can all fall into that trap. Even, even in times like right now, we're, we're navigating some new uncertainty. We're av- av- navigating some things that are different and unique. And we can not on purpose find ourselves in a place where we're not seeking God's guidance. We're not seeking his wisdom. And it's almost like the enemy ramps up his deception like they do in the story to deceive us so he can lead us to a place where we're distracted. And we lead, it leads us to a place where we ultimately find devastation because we begin to trust ourselves instead of trusting God. They had a master scheme against Joshua and the Israelites. And then look at verse 16. It says, It came about at the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, that they heard that they were neighbors, and they were living within their land. Joshua figured it out. He realized, we've been deceived. We've been tricked. And we've made a mistake. And so he sets a plan of action in place. But what I want us to think about is, as I considered this story and all that takes place, it's crazy how quickly the enemy found itself in the camp of Gilgal. And as I reflected on what that looks like for us, and begin to understand, it's interesting how quickly the enemy can find himself in our camp, and we don't even realize it. Finding himself in our camp to deceive us, to distract us, to destroy all that God wants to do in our lives. And it happens so quickly. I mean, we all do this. We make an impulsive decision. We go in a direction where we um, don't even stop to think, is this the right direction? Is this the right way to go? Is this the right plans to make? And it especially happens when we're in times of crisis or in times of desperation, when we don't have what we think we need, or we're starting to feel a little bit panicked or a little bit fearful. And in that desperation, the enemy ramps up the deception all for our destruction. It's what's happening in this passage. And there's a theological significance in this because the Israelites and Joshua had a covenant with God. And what the enemy steps onto the scene to do is to deceive Joshua, to get Joshua to make a covenant with them because if Joshua was to make a covenant with them, then he breaks his covenant with the Lord. That's what sin is. And we all have a tendency to step into this. But what I want us to think about for just the next few minutes is how quickly this happens how quickly the enemy can find its way into our camp. 
into the camp of Gilgal, but we're not in the camp of Gilgal. I mean, here you are in a season where things are a little bit crazy. And for so many of you, we've heard the stories of what God is doing in your life, taking steps to trust him with everything in your life. So many taking steps to get baptized in the next week. Seeing things happen in your life because of God's goodness and God's work and plans and purposes in your life. And here you are, and then all of a sudden, the enemy sneaks into your camp. And it can happen so quickly. I mean, think about it. He shows up in a dialogue. A thought process begins to happen. He just begins to ask you, hey, hey, hey how are you? Hey, how's, how, how's your marriage? I mean, I, I just got to be honest. I mean, I'm really surprised that you're still hanging in there. I mean, he, does he really even care about you? She, she is such a nag. I mean, doesn't she drive you crazy? I mean, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm surprised that, that you're still in this. But, but kudos to you. Great job to you. Proud of you. You're making it work. Or maybe he asks the question, how's your family? What about your dad? You know, as you think about your dad, isn't it kind of overwhelming to think about sometimes that he left so long ago that he didn't care more for you, that he didn't care more for your life, that he didn't want to take better care of you? Or what about your mom? I mean, she's just kind of whack. I mean, isn't it overwhelming to think about some of the things that she pursues? What about your kids? How are your kids doing? Man, they are out of control. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you could just kind of step back and do a redo? starts to speak, starts to cause deception. Or maybe he says, hey, uh, how's, how's Billy? How, how's that guy in the office? You know, you've been quarantined for all this time, and, and Billy is still up at the office. And man, I'm just concerned that maybe he's, some, he's saying some things about you. You might want to watch your back. I'm not sure that he has your interest your best interest in mind. And there's these deception, these lies we begin to hear, and it happens so quickly. I mean, do you feel this? Do you understand it? Do you see it? It's such a real thing, and it's a scheme that the enemy wants to pursue in our life, and it can happen so quickly. And before you know it, suddenly the enemy is in your camp. And so what I want us to do is I want us to consider, you know, in the, in the story we read, there's lies that the enemy speaks clearly to Joshua. And they're not lies that we read and that we would believe, but the enemy is speaking lies to us. And for many of us, we can fall into a season. We can go through days, weeks, months, maybe even years, never recognizing that the enemy is in our camp. So how do we know? How do we know that the enemy is in our camp? Well, maybe you've heard something like this. Maybe you've heard something like, maybe it would be better somewhere else. Maybe life would be easier. Maybe life would be better in someone else's camp, somewhere else, going a different direction. The New Testament says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But then Jesus says, but I have come so that you may have life and life to the full. Life to the full. It's in God's camp. Joshua and the Israelites there in the camp of Gilgal, they are in God's camp and God is with them. He will not fail them. He will never leave them. That is the, the place of life. But the enemy wants to deceive. He wants to distract. He wants to destroy. He wants to lead you in a different direction where you begin to believe that my ways maybe are the better ways. Maybe I should trust myself instead of trusting God. You know, we've got to recognize that the enemy is not going to show up in his Halloween costume wearing all red with a pitchfork and horns on his head, making weird sounds to scare you. He shows up looking good. 
shows up sounding good, is enticing. His goal is seduction. His goal is to, to, to attract you, to begin to entice some thoughts into your mind. You know, I just finished my taxes. I'm one of the procrastinators and I waited to the last day. And I don't know if you've ever had that thought where you've been doing your taxes and you're walking through that. It's like, man, it'd be really easy to kind of misrepresent some numbers here to maybe cheat the system a little bit. I'm not sure I even trust our government, so why do I want to give my money? And there's these thoughts. And to have the thoughts is not a bad thing, but it's when those thoughts become enticing. And they lead us to this place when we begin to hear this voice. Maybe you should go a different direction. Maybe you should exist somewhere else. Trust yourself. It's the scheme of the enemy. He is a master deceiver. It starts innocent and it becomes enticing. Maybe it's the innocent friend request from an ex-boyfriend or an ex-girlfriend. And you find yourself in a married relationship and things are good, but they're not always good. And those thoughts begin to kind of stir. And what was innocent leads to maybe some innocent messages that become a little bit enticing. And then you begin to have thoughts and it begins to consume your mind. And the enemy is trying to deceive you and pull you away. What's his motivation? Your destruction my destruction. He wants to wreck everything in our lives. Is this what you're hearing? Does this begin to make some sense? You're like, yes, that's, that's me. If so, then the enemy may be in your camp. There's a second lie that we hear from the enemy, and it's this. I'm not good enough. You are not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not um, athletic enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not influential enough. I'm not powerful enough. I'm not popular enough. I'm not connected enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not enough. I wish I was more. And it's the voice of the enemy trying to lure us away because he's in our camp. But if you go back to that John 10, 10 verse that I was reading, if you go to the very next verse, John 10, 11, it says that the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And it's Jesus saying that he was going to lay his life down so that we could have life. And the reason I mention that and the reason I point to that today is because when I think about that, then I am everything I need to be. Everything I am capable of comes through Jesus, not through my own power. And so when I hear the lies of I'm not good enough, I don't have to believe those lies because Jesus gave his life. The fact that he gave his life, it made his reservation in my camp. He is with me. And so I don't have to, I don't have to focus on thoughts of inadequacy or weakness because he is with me, and if he is with me, then I am good enough. I am enough. I am valuable. I am worthy. But here's my fear is oftentimes we don't stop. We don't pause. We don't seek God's counsel when we start to hear that voice. And the tragedy of that is it leads us to this third lie that's even more damaging. And it's the lie that we begin to hear and that we begin to believe that I'm not going to survive this. There's just two much. I mean, in, in these days, the days of COVID, I mean, we all are sick and tired of hearing we're, we're going into a new normal. Because when we say new normal, it points us back to what normal used to be. And we begin to think, I don't have what I used to have. I've given my life to accumulate, to climb the ladder, to, 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 rec to get recognition and to get status and to get power. I've, I've given myself to this and all of a sudden I don't have that. And I'm not sure that I'm going to make it. Marriage isn't what it used to be. Sickness has stepped in and has changed the game for us. 
And it leads us to a place of discouragement and frustration. We begin to think, man, things just aren't like they used to be. And I'm not sure that I'm going to survive this. And in this season, we've even become more disconnected from each other. We've been forced to. Whether we agree or disagree, we have been disconnected. We don't have the accessibility to other people like we're used to, like we need, like we're starving for. And the reason that I point here is because I think that there's a danger in our society, in our culture, in our world right now. Where not only have we begun to hear the lie that I'm not going to survive this, but we've literally begun to think, I'm not going to make it. So much so that maybe even you've begun to consider the options, the devastating options. And I don't say that lightly. I don't say that to just kind of brush by it and, and address it. I say that because I'm concerned, we're concerned, we love each other, and as we hurt, we hurt together. And so I just want to point you to something. If that's you today and you are at that place where you have considered the options or you're close to considering the options, we are here for you 24-7. Reach out right now. Even if you're watching this months from now, you reach out because we're here and we're in this together. And you're not alone. And you are enough. And we want to walk with you because it's not over. I mean, that's proof right there that the enemy is speaking to you because the Lord Jesus didn't tell you that. He's here and he arrived and he gave his life so that you would have life and you would have life to the full. So when you begin to hear the lie that I'm not going to survive this, you know that is a lie from the enemy. Jesus gave his life because he wants to restore your story. And right now it feels like all hope is lost. But you hang on because there is hope. And Jesus wants to write a story with your life that he wants to tell because of how powerful and how strong and how much he cares for you and how much he loves you. And as he rewrites your story, he's going to restore in you who he designed you to be. Don't believe the lie of the enemy. You can't lose. You can't lose with Jesus. The last one is simply this. The last lie we have a tendency to believe is that everyone hates me. Everyone hates me. No one cares about me. My family, my coworkers, my teammates, everybody hates me. And I was having a conversation with a former student in our student ministry a few months ago. And we were just catching up, started off with just some small talk. And I used to see this guy all the time at his place of employment. And so I just went there because that's kind of the first thing that came to my mind. I was like, hey, man, how, how are things going at work? And he's like, man, they're terrible. I'm about to quit. I was like, really? He goes, yeah, I just, I don't like working there. And he told me where he's working. I was like, wait, I didn't even know you worked there. What happened to the other job? He's like, oh, I got fired there. He said, everybody hates me. Everybody hates me at my new job. Everybody hated me at my old job. And I'm like, yikes, that, that, sounds, that sounds difficult. So then I just said, continued the conversation, didn't really know where to go with that. I said, man, how's your family? And he goes, oh, I don't, I don't know. I quit talking to them. They didn't, he, he began to describe to me that um, his family didn't like his girlfriend, which he went on to say his girlfriend had dumped him because she hated him. And so because uh, they didn't like his girlfriend, he walked away from them. He thought they didn't care about him, that they hated him. And I'm like, dude, things don't sound good in your life. But don't we have a tendency to start to believe that sometimes? And can I just, if that's creating some tension for you today, can I just simply say that maybe it's not everybody else, but maybe it's you. And I don't say that in judgment. I say that to recognize the lie of the enemy. Because the truth is that there likely is someone who doesn't like you. 
one of the most important things I ever heard from one of my mentors years ago is he told me, he said, if you go through life thinking everybody is going to like you, you are setting yourself up for failure. But we have a tendency when that one voice speaks against us or that one person comes against us, we begin to believe because the enemy begins to speak lies and deceit into our lives. And we begin to believe that everyone feels that way. The enemy is speaking that. The enemy begins to lead you to a place to believe where it's tough being you. And so what we do is we begin to build up walls. We're going to begin to push everybody out. We want to keep everybody at a distance because it hurts to let people in too close. We struggle to trust, which leads us to struggle to be trusted. And we find ourselves isolated, separate, disconnected from those that are close to us. You know, Joshua came to a place in verse 16 where he recognized the lies of the enemy. And he responds to that. He just didn't sit there and recognize it and say, oh man, we blew it. He begins to respond, and for the sake of time, I'll just tell you what he, him and his leaders, they begin to have a conversation. They address the Gibeonites. They begin to have a conversation. They expose their deceit, and then they call out to them. They say, hey, here's what's going to happen. Joshua, in his integrity, he keeps his promise. He keeps his oath, even when expectations went a different direction than where they were when he made the promise. You see this incredible example of integrity. But what I'm most intrigued by What I'm most encouraged by in this story of Joshua and the Israelites, when they recognize they've been deceived by the enemy, look how Joshua responds in verse 27. It says, But Joshua made them that day hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord, to this day in the place which he would choose. In his response, he takes the enemy and he puts them in a place of worship. He puts them in a place where he says, you need to recognize where my attention is. You need to recognize where I'm looking and what I'm focused on and where my trust comes from. He points them to God. And he does that with this authority because he knows and he remembers that God said in the very beginning of the book of Joshua, he says, the land that I have given you. And Joshua remembers, I have already won. This has been given to us. This has been accomplished. And so there is authority and there is power in my life to push back the enemy because the enemy has no victory. The enemy has no leverage in my life. And as I was reading the story and I was contemplating and thinking through it and praying through it this week, I was quickly reminded of when the enemy steps onto the scene with Jesus himself. I mean, Jesus has been in the wilderness for 40 days, fasting, praying. He's hungry. He's tired. He's lonely. He's been by himself for 40 days and the enemy shows up and the enemy begins to tempt. He begins to deceive. And I love Jesus's response because it's just like the response of Joshua. As he gets through the last of the three temptations, Matthew chapter 4 verse 10, Jesus said to him, go Satan. He says, go, exclamation mark, go, Satan, with authority. He says, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus, with his authority, he says, I shall worship, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He does the same thing Joshua does. He points him to his Lord. He points him to God. He says, this is the authority in my life. This is where I will focus my attention. You have no power. You have no authority over me. Word of time.
Things are uncertain. Things are a little bit scary. We feel fragile. We feel shaken. We feel frustrated. But we're confident that he is with me. The cross of Jesus gives me confidence that when he gave his life, it was so that he could be involved in my life, even now, even today, even in some dark times. And I just want you to know this, like it's okay to be okay. But I want you to know that you're going to be okay. It's okay to not feel great. It's okay to not understand everything that's going on. But you and I will be okay in Christ. And the enemy is going to continue to prowl around us. He's going to try to deceive us. He's going to try to knock you down, push you out, wreck your life. But in Christ, I have confidence. In Jesus, I have confidence that he will not have victory in my life. And just like Jesus, I can say, Satan, you got to go. The enemy, you have no room here. There's no room in my camp for you. You got to go. And I have the authority to do that in Jesus. There's power in this. I want to close with one last verse. Paul writes to the church at Galatia in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And he says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He says, I've been crucified. He says, I've laid my life down. I have died to myself and I have trusted Jesus. And the result of that is that Jesus lives in me. And so when the enemy begins to speak those lies into my ear, the enemy has no authority. The enemy has no leverage in my life unless I choose to let him have a leverage in my life because he's already, he's already lost. We've won the battle in Jesus. And so I don't know where this lands for you, but I know where it needs to land. It pushes us to a place where we respond. And we have the same potential response that Paul had. We have the same potential response that people had all throughout the New Testament as they began to trust Jesus. Have you ever trusted Jesus? Have you ever allowed Jesus to call the shots in your life, to be the final say, the final authority? Have you ever said yes to his love for you? Have you ever said yes to his grace? to his mercy, to his plans, to his forgiveness? Have you ever surrendered your life and laid it down and said, Jesus, I want you to be my everything. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my king. I want you to be my boss. I want to invite you to do something bold right here in this moment. In a time of uncertainty, I want to invite you to simply lay down your life and say, Jesus, I want you to be my king. And all you need to do is just say something similar to this. And there's nothing magical about this phrase or this prayer, but I want you, wherever you sit, to have this conversation with Jesus right now. Just close your eyes. Consider this. Confess this. Say this to God right now. Just say, dear God, thank you for loving me. I ask you to forgive me for my sin. I admit that I've made some mistakes in my life. And today I give you my life and I give you control of everything. Jesus, give me the power to live the life that you want me to live. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that nothing in this world, no enemy can be formed against us when we find ourselves 
in you, when we trust you, when we focus on you, when we run to you, we find life and we find life to the full. God, I pray right now, I know that there are many that are probably listening that are on the fence or maybe just in the last few minutes have made the decision to trust you, to lay their life down for you. God, I pray that you would give them a boldness, you would give them a confidence, that you would just begin to work in powerful, miraculous ways in their life. Show us how to live. Show us how to live in these dark times. Give us confidence against anything that might be in close proximity that's trying to steal life from us. Give us power and authority over that. We trust you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, a relationship with Jesus is not just a one-time commitment in a time like this. It's a journey, and it's a journey of next steps. And maybe today, for the very first time, you decided to commit your life to Jesus. We want to know that because we want to walk with you. That's what this is all about. That's what church is. It's you and me loving Jesus and loving each other. And so text the word COF next to 97000. Once you do that, you'll see some options, some boxes to check. If you trusted Jesus for the very first time today or, or wanted to kind of refocus and recommit your life to him, just check that box and say, I committed my life to Jesus today. And notice some other options, and one of those is to take that step of baptism. It's an opportunity for you to declare to the world that Jesus is your everything. It's a celebration. We're doing that this week all around our city. And we've got a team, we've got safety precautions in place, but we would love to celebrate with you that next step in your faith journey with Jesus. We also have, in a time like this, a place where you can go to have some one-on-one -on -one prayer with someone. If maybe God has uh, shaken something up in your life or there's something going on that's not even related to anything we've talked about, we have volunteers right now that are available to pray one-on-one -on -one with you. You'll notice in the chat box on YouTube or Facebook a Zoom link. You can click on that Zoom link and you'll be able to find a prayer partner in there, someone to pray specifically for your needs. So take advantage of that today. I also want to point you to three quick questions. Whether you're sitting in a home with your family or sitting with a group of friends or you're having an online watch party, I want to give you three questions just to have some conversation and dialogue around today. The first question is simply this. Describe a time in your life where you made a decision or went a direction that you know wasn't God's plan for your life. Second question is simply this. As you listen today, which of those four lies is the one you seem to wrestle with the most? And then the third question, the third point of conversation is take a minute and read Psalm chapter 23. And after you read that, pick out one thing, pick out one truth that you believe is going to bring hope and confidence for you this week. And then the last next step is this. We're just going to worship together. We're going to end our time together singing, worshiping, celebrating, giving adoration to Jesus because of what he did on our behalf, something you and I couldn't do. So let's end our time together this weekend, worshiping Jesus. Community of Faith, I love you. I can't wait to see you soon.